You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Mic check, mic check. Here we go again. Welcome, everybody, to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, man. Uh, This is an awesome episode. So today we're going to be talking with Byron Horton. He's been on before. You may know him from all the stuff that he's doing. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what, this is a really good discussion. And it wasn't just, you know, like a straight-up interview where I interview him uh, and he talks about everything that he uh, does we're having a conversation uh, basically about scouting uh, using digital uh, imagery mapping you know apps things like that and how we are what we are doing right now in order to kill a buck in the fall and a lot of that is revolving around digital scouting what we're looking for specifically and then once we actually get into the timber to scout the references um, that we're using to go and validate a spot, basically saying, uh, yes or no, is this a good spot or is it not a good spot? And sometimes you might only be able to do that validation by hunting it. So this is a really good conversation. It felt really good as we were, as we were, uh, discussing it, but man, uh, now is the time because I'm, I'm telling you in two weeks, it's going to start greening up and then we've lost that window to get out and start scouting, um, the the landscape right you can go and scout all year round if you want but as of right now everything is sticking out everything is sticking out i mean every little subtle terrain feature especially in iowa we had a late snow 
uh, early like two weeks ago and then it got warm and it all melted so everything's still flat and uh, all the leaves are flat so you can see all of the ground uh, every little nook and cranny in there and you can find the rubs and that's what I did uh, when I went out shed hunting what was it two days ago I think it was Tuesday yeah Tuesday I went out for a shed hunt and so I went out there and the goal was basically just to scout a certain piece of this property that I didn't put too much effort into. And the property that is that I'm talking about is basically a giant L with limited access from the bottom of the L, the long part of the L, and the very top part of the L. And then it connects in the middle. And so the issue here is, is that with limited access, when you go in, there's always that chance that you're going to be bumping deer from certain areas, especially if you're trying to investigate what wind direction works best for that particular property, finding those, uh, those intersections where deer move through the property. So I went through with my hunt stand and I was documenting, okay, here is big rubs. Here is a good trail intersection. Here is all these things that make this particular piece of property good. And I'm looking for, you know, edge. I'm looking for old sign, things like that. So I go and I take down two trail cameras while I'm out running around. And I'm looking for sheds at the same time, but I, I knew I wasn't going to find that many sheds out on this property for two reasons. One, it's a corn year on this particular piece of property. And as much as I would like to go grid search a cornfield looking for sheds, it's difficult. We all know that. And, you know, giant sheds just aren't sticking out everywhere. Second uh, thing that led me to this, uh, this decision was that the cell cam picks that I've had, I, I dumped like a thousand pounds of corn out two months ago. And so I dumped it out hardly any bucks i mean just there was zero shooters on this property uh after the season was over just a whole bunch of does and that's pretty much what ate my corn so there's that and so it was more of a reconnaissance mission all i wanted to do was just walk the property one more time get a better idea of where the main trails were because right now the main trails really stick out and uh you know looking for that old sign and I, I found the old sign. But here's the kicker. And here's something that I want everybody to think about. Just when you think that you are on the hottest sign that there is, right? And I had a trail camera at the bottom of this ridge and at the top of this ridge that I was hunting. And there was rubs all up and down it, both sides of it. And, you know, it led up to this point where I had another trail camera and I was getting... I had a couple pics of this giant double, uh, his both G2s were split, so he was a 12-pointer mainframe 10, just a giant deer. I'm, I'm guessing over 170, could be low 180s, just a, a gorgeous, a gorgeous animal. Like just, you know, you shoot this, it's a, like a lifetime or buck. And so I had a couple pictures of him. So I, the whole season that I focused on that particular farm, I was on the ridge with all of the sign on it one camera over i had a trail camera that i found this bed in i found a, a a deer bed and so i put a trail camera over top of it and i didn't check it 
right? I didn't check it. I didn't go back into that area. It was almost like a doe bedding area. There was hardly any sign when I did my scouting. And even yesterday or two days ago when I went and pulled the camera, there was hardly any sign in there of any buck sign. I mean, there was one rub and it was one of those rubs that it was half the size of your wrist on a tree. And that was it. That was the only rub on this whole ridge. And so I had seen beds in there from previous years. But it was all doe beds. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking it's some kind of doe bedding area. The other uh, ridge that I spent most of my time on was a doe bedding area as well. Lots of, lots of traffic on there. I did see a lot of deer when I was there. So I take down my trail camera. I go home. And wouldn't you know, that buck visited that ridge with zero sign on it a majority of the time. He was on there multiple times from... October 16th all the way to December 11th I think was the last picture that I had of, have of him um, now who knows what happened I could sit here and lose sleep over guessing did he get shot whatever 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 but what I what I did was I learned about this deer's travel pattern and there were multiple days where I was 200 yards away on the next little ridge over while this buck was cruising up and down that other ridge in daylight shooting opportunities if I was in the right stand so I learned something about this buck now if he makes it guess where I'm going to have a tree stand guess where I'm going to have two tree stands right one for any type of north wind and one for any type of south wind and I'm going to be there when when I when this buck comes through again hopefully right I'm going to put a tr uh, another trail camera right in that same area I'll check it when I go in to uh, hunt that stand but and there was a lot of deer that came through this, but and, and mature bucks as well, and no sign. So you hear all the time from the strategy standpoint, gotta hunt the sign, gotta hunt the sign, gotta hunt the sign. Well, as I learned through this uh, this year, that sign doesn't necessarily mean that there's deer cruising because I didn't get any pictures of this big buck on the other. There were some crossover bucks, but this big big buck. He really stayed the course on this one little ridge. And man, I wish I was there because he's a giant. And so, as we all know, just because there's rubs and scrapes doesn't mean that there's deer other places. And it makes you think because we're conditioned to go hunt the sign, uh, hunt a scrape, hunt a rub line, uh, hunt uh, like a terrain feature that leads up where all this sign is at. And meanwhile, there's no sign on another ridge as far as buck sign is concerned there was there was uh you know tracks and there was dope you know beds and and things like that but it makes you think like these deer can go anywhere they want and if they feel comfortable comfortable going up something and this buck's personality may not have been a personality of hey i'm gonna lay a whole bunch of scrapes and a whole bunch of rubs but i tell you what i'm gonna do i'm gonna put a big fat mock scrape in the middle of this ridge i'm gonna put a trail camera right over it and i'm gonna see what happens uh this summer and uh and and just try it hopefully he comes back Hopefully he didn't get killed. And he seemed like he was pretty smart about things, but I'm gonna hunt that ridge smart but aggressive, meaning I'm gonna find really good access and I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out and we'll see what happens, man. I might have a, a flank tree stand on the opposite side of the valley where I believe him to be bedding as well. And it's gonna be a long walk in 
and I might blow deer off a field, but I feel that he is going to come back up through the ridge with the where he was all year, cross the valley, and then come up and bed on, let's say, like a northwest wind of sorts. So we'll see what happens, uh, north wind or south wind. Like there's two little knob ridges where on the opposite side of the valley that I think he's going to, that I think he could potentially be bedding in. Uh, so we'll see. So we'll see. And uh, I won't find that out until this uh, six months or so. So no, it's going to be less than that. See, it's see three four five or see one two three four five like five four or five months right i'll go back out i'll put i'll i'll set some stands i'll trim some some tree branches i will uh like i'll i have access to this farm it's a private farm i can set up i know if you if i don't need to run and gun i'm gonna put two stand i'm taking two stands in one for each uh, side and uh i'll be prepared and then you know i'll go in there mid to late October and we'll see when he starts to daylight. So hopefully it all works out. Anyway, that's, uh, that is a story. I just want everybody to think about just because there's no sign doesn't mean there's no deer. Other than that, we we do have a great episode. Byron is here to uh, chat about, uh, we chat about our e-scouting approach. And so I hope you guys enjoy real quick. Again, not prepared. Let's do a, uh, uh, commercial here. Let's see, hunt stand. Like I mentioned, hunt stand. I I definitely took advantage of hunt stand and I documented all the major rubs, scrapes, intersections. And now that I have this trail cam data, I'm gonna be adding fat information into, into hunt stand as well. And what I'm gonna do then is I'm gonna be able to take a look at what wind direction this buck felt comfortable cruising this ridge. And I have a feeling he did it more than just what I gathered on trail camera, but I'm going to put trail cameras in there. And so what I'm, the, the plan is, is to document all this on hunt stand and then use hunt stand as a reference of the best time to go in and attack this buck and, and basically forecast deer movement through hunt stand. So if you want to find out more information, go to huntstand.com, read up on all their functionality and you can save 10%. Uh, no, 20% off by entering the discount code SN20. So 30 bucks for a membership, basically, but then he's 20% off. So it's a pretty big savings. And then we have Wasp Archery. Man, um, just signed another deal with them. Love working with this company. An absolute, absolute great company. Awesome broadheads made from some of the best materials that money can buy made in America and really <laughs> the the older I get and the more how you learn about how the world works the more I want to support made in America companies right like like uh what are some other made in America companies uh Novex right and Novex is another made in American company and so is the uh and so is Wasp so huge shout out to those companies that are made in America. I love Wasp. I love the people that work there. Awesome broadheads. Like, what do you want your broadheads to do? Destroy whatever they hit. Uh, love Wasp archery. Love their broadheads, mechanicals, fixed blade, uh, fixed blade options. And so go to wasparchery.com. And then we have Ozonics. Ozonics, man. Again, please take take a moment. Just go to ozonicshunting.com. 
and just read through the functionality and what ozone actually does. You've heard me talk about it a lot on this on this podcast, but you really do need to check it out for yourself. If you have a buddy who has a unit, borrow it on a hunt, just see what it does. Maybe put yourself in a kind of an aggressive position on a couple does that come through or a doe group uh, and, and, and just check it out. See what their reaction is. And uh, I'll tell you, my reactions have been very impressive. And that's why I continue to take an Ozonics in the tree with me and treat my clothes with it before and after my hunts. And there's times where I feel invisible in the tree stand and that's what it's all about making every hunt count so uh check out ozonics and there's a discount code there let's see ozonics if you enter the discount code nfc21 you get a free dry wash bag with a purchase of any unit and i forgot wasp nine fingers 2021 for 20 percent off for uh, their broadheads might as well get it out of the way now uh because who knows what's going to be happening in the near future with you know, shipping and materials, uh, buy your stuff now. So you have it for the upcoming season. So that is the commercials for today. Hopefully you guys enjoy huge shout out to Byron for doing this episode last minute. Now let's get into the episode. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Byron Horton. What's up, man? Hey, Dan, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Hey, so you got how old's your your kid? The kid is a year and a half. A year and a half. Now I don't know why I'm thinking this. Do you have another one coming? I do. I do have number two coming August. Um, not a terrible, you know, two summer babies in the grand scheme of things in the in the bow hunting world. That's not terrible. No, it's not at all. And for a bow hunter, August is a good, you know, for me. I see. I got us. I got a April baby. I got a February baby, so right after everything ends, for the most part, I think the year my son was born, I skipped that turkey season. But other than that, okay, uh, it was all good. My uh, my youngest son was born in September, so that was that was a an, an iffy season because I had a brand new baby at home, you know, for the first couple months. Uh, but my wife tricked me, yeah. so I think she felt sorry for it. Classic. No, that is a, well, that is one of my, that is a Dan Johnson question I have is related to that baby number two being, oh, it'll be a couple months in in the October, November months. Yeah. What is your shooter list? Uh, I have this (laughs) internal debate and I've literally, this is the perfect question to ask Dan. Um, you know, grew up listening or, you know, I feel like I, I, I listened to you a lot on the wire to hunt the early days. I'm like, dude, I'm in this pickle where, do I shoot the first so-so buck that walks by knowing, like, chances are I'm not going to be in the timber as much in October, November as I would having not had a small baby at home? But the other side of me says, you know, I'm kind of on a, a decent streak of shooting some good bucks. Like, maybe you ride this thing out. Yeah. I don't know. So here's, here's the question. Like, uh, and this is going to sound bad, but how cool is your wife? Yep. Like, uh, is she cool? Is she like, hey, man, I got this shit covered. Uh, do you have help at home? Or is it one of those things where, you know, it's like it's prime time and it's just like, here comes the text. When are you going to get home? When are you going to be home? When are you going to be home? And it, it like a lot of that depends on what, what you can shoot that year. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I'm going to score my wife on the, is she cool with it scale? Pretty high. Okay. Um, but the kid definitely like, like kid one kid adds a huge element to that. Yeah. But, uh, I, I would say pre pre kid, she was probably like an 8.59. Okay. Like on the, the, the cool wife. But, but, but now with the kid, like, should I, should I score like a 6.8? Yeah. Like a seven. Yeah, that number fluctuates too, depending on the day. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I, I do know 100% what you're talking about. Now, here's the thing. I don't think like if if that number goes down, you know, from one kid to two kids, right? You you were a nine, right? Now you got you want mm-hmm. like uh, one kid, you know, that went down a little bit. Two kids that went down a little bit. Now, my recommendation is you've done your job right? You've repopulated the earth evenly, right? If you decide to have three kids and that number drops below five now, and it's a struggle to get out and things like that. Well, buddy, that's your own fault, right? Like (laughs) you can't blame your wife for that. No, no. And and I've heard you got to go to zone defense at that time. Mm -hmm. And that's just never as effective. No, it never is. It never is. But I tell you what, uh, my wife, is and she'll probably she would if she ever listens to this she would probably kick like be pissed at this comment but I mean it like I say this with all due respect um she right. has a loud bark but her bite is not very you know dangerous mm. you know what I mean so mm. she she'll let me know that she is you know what you know she's like well this sucks you're gonna be gone I gotta do this all by myself blah 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 but when I get back she really doesn't care right she 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 handles it she knows this is what I love to do um she gets to do her thing I get to do my thing and my thing just so happens there's a lot of it done in a short period of time and then the rest of the year right I'm like yesterday I painted part of my basement and uh you know we got some new furniture coming in, so I, I'm checking some of those things off of the list so that when September comes, I can be MIA for four months. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you have the debate when, when uh, new additions were arriving? Like, So, like, you know, my bow hunting goal is, is like, you know, I, I admire consistency of killing good deer on a regular basis because consistency, that's, that's kind of cool. Like, you know, those mm. guys have got some stuff figured out. But, like, the, the other part of me is, like, dude, out of the bucks I know about in season, like, I, I, have, I've, I haven't connected on the megas that I know about or, like, the bigger, the, the biggest of the, the, like, if I have a hit list of 10, I'm shooting, like, the six, seven buck most of the times I feel like on that list of 10 versus, like, spots 8 through 10. Yeah. And, and I'm, like, how many times do I shoot that, you know, six, seven buck on that list? And maybe this is one of those years – I'd like to hold out and, and go for a broke. Yeah. And so I have that debate also in there. And let, it, let me, let me ask you, I got to feel. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. answer that question by asking you a question, right? When was the last time that you pa- actually passed the, you know, let's just say you have a hit list of 10, you pass that six, seven, eight, nine, ten buck. Um, this year I had a, I had one of those deer you don't want to see at at, at you know, thirty yards, yeah. and I was like, man, 
I was like, I don't, I don't want to see this deer. But I mean, I, I made the decision that, that I was holding out and I was blessed half hour later, here comes a bigger one. Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't normally work out. But like if I took this year out of it in the last, let's call it five years, I think I've had one other really tough pass. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and those suck. Because it makes you it yeah. makes you think, but what ultimately happens is, and if if you can, for me this this uh, I mean I, I started passing, I even passed a one forty five class ten. Oh no, nah, maybe not that big, but I would say he was a three year old, could have been a four year old. If I had to put money on it, I would say three year old, probably one forty ish class ten, beautiful deer. I was after a different deer, man, I could have shot him and, uh, I just let him walk. And so that it's easier because I've done that before, right? I didn't even pick my bow up for him, but in the past, mm-hmm. let's say around 2016, 17 timeframe, when I started doing more of that, I, my hit list shrunk because I'd already accomplished a little bit of something as far as my personal goals that the the age class and the antler size kind of went up and it sucked but ultimately if you can dedicate the time and this is where the trick comes in if you can dedicate the time to pass and then relocate a a a bigger hit lister i guess you could say your number one two three then it becomes easier to do now if you're let's say you know you have an august baby and the wife is struggling mm-hmm. at home. You can't get mom or mother-in-law or grandma to come help you or whatever. Babysitters aren't an option. Uh, then that becomes a struggle and you have to do one of two things. You have to either eat your tag knowing, Hey, this is a potential taggy ear or you, you shoot a deer that is consistent with what you've been killing in the past. And, and that not, might not be the year to, to make that jump up to the next level. Mm-hmm. it's it sucks though to have Damn. to to have to think about that you know like i i just want to go out and kill the biggest deer in the woods and right it it can suck sometimes when when you have that debate like man i know like i want to pass this deer but i don't know if i have the time to pass him mm-hmm. yeah yeah because for the longest time i'd say like i get one chance right like yeah. one chance at what i'm looking for um I've had some, some instances in the last three, four years where, Oh, I, I missed a really good one and then killed six days later or something. Or, yeah. um, this year I was able to shoot a second buck kind of later, um, in the year. It's like, Oh, okay. Like maybe, maybe now my skills or abilities are getting me a second chance, uh, assuming times there, but like, Oh, that is, that is so tough. Uh, you're uh, not it, going it, to any other <laughs> States, right? You're just, you're just hunting the one state. Uh, uh, last year I hunted multiple, last couple of years I've hunted multiple states, uh, that the, I don't think I'm going to, eh, I, I don't think I'm going to buy an out of state tag unless I shoot one, let's call it opening day this yeah. year or, you know, like pre November 5th kill. Yeah. Then maybe, maybe then I pull out some funds and go to another state and this might be the year of one buck and done. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and it it's what's crazy about that is it, it can be a man. It, it could be a. I've had years like that where you just know that hey, I 
maybe I can take an early season trip. And I, that's basically using all the brownie points on that eight day, you know, five day mm-hmm. trip. You come home hunting, you know, like for me, hunting Iowa is close. I can go get it done. And, uh, but I've, I've kind of found my limit and I don't know what your limit is. And I don't think you even know what your limit is because you, you, you have a baby coming is what I'm getting at is like, I have my three kids. Um, if I play my cards, right, I actually, on the 25th of March, I'm scheduled for my vasectomy. So I know that after that kids aren't going to be an issue anymore. Right. That's not even in the mm-hmm. equation. I have my three kids. Um, my wife isn't going to get pregnant anymore uh, that I know of. <laughs> right. Knock on wood. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so she is, uh, you know, and my kids are getting older. They're in school all day long and in daycare all day long. And it's just going to start getting easier from here because the older they get, the, you know, all that stuff. So I know where my limits kind of lie. And, and so you just kind of got to test that limit. And that one year when I had the, the, the baby, I did my one out of state trip. And then I also uh, hunted Iowa. And I think that year I tagged out in four days in Iowa. So, Oh, you were the hero coming home. Yeah, exactly. But then the next year, I think it took me 14 days uh, in Iowa to kill my buck. And Mm. so that, that's start starting of the limit. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But the the thing about it is if you have a great support system, I don't know. Do you, do you have a great support system? Yeah, yeah, we've got some pretty. Uh, uh, I would say we got uh, a pair of all-star parent, uh, grandparents, so mm-hmm. that helps. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. Like, is your dad a hunter? No, no, no. Uh, nobody on in either family really does any hunting. Okay, so. well, that's a good thing. But golfers, both golfers, which that kind of relates. You yeah, know? yeah. So one thing that you could do is just have <laughs> just how old's your dad? Let me ask you this. Uh, dad is uh, early sixties, early sixties. Okay. So he's still got some kind of energy. That's about my dad is mid sixties. I think he's right at 65. And so he has enough energy. If I went, if I went up to my dad and and was just like straight up man to man, dude, I want to go on this trip. My dad doesn't hunt. Hey, I want to go on this trip. Can you help out? My dad would be like, I got your back. Like he would help me. Right. He would, he would do that. So maybe that's a conversation you need to go, uh, go have with your dad. Just be like, Hey dude, dude. Uh, I need to, I need an all-star grandpa this weekend. I need you to help me out. I'm trying to get to, you know, I'm trying to get to Illinois or I'm trying to go to Pennsylvania or, you know, whatever, whatever out of state hunt yeah. that you're trying to go on. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like that. That's a, uh, just man to man. Like, dude, I need this. I need this. I need this. And then he'll be like, if you, if you approach another man like this, like, I, I oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I think I think a lot of men will have each other's back. Like, hey dude, or l- let's just say this, if I, if I live close to you and Oh, yeah. yeah you know, I, I was like, envisioning it like, yeah, if I was like 3 hours away and, and you're like, dude, Byron, I I need one babysitter for for a night. I've seen a, the biggest buck of my life yesterday. I'm, I I just need a babysitter today. Right, right. Like, All right, I'll be there in 3 hours. Right, exactly. Or or hey, <laughs> hey Dan, Man, can I drop my kids off at your house? I want to take the wife out. We haven't had any alone time in the past X number of months. Uh, I, I need I need this, and I'm like, I got you. Like, I got you, man. Because <laughs> because I know what you feel like. Yeah, yeah. There is something to pulling on that that string. Yeah. 
All right, so let's talk about this. You, when I I reached out to you this morning, and this is the last. This was a last minute episode, and you said, "Yeah, you must discuss the dad of two shooter topic." What's that mean? That was that was a prior conversation. So, going to be a data to this. Spring, oh, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Ball. What? You know, I really had that internal debate of: Do I hold out for one of those top? Let's call it. You know, those top two bucks I know about in my shooter list of ten, or is this the year that? Uh, let's just call them one twenty-five walks by November third, and I've only hunted a day or two. Do I just smack him and? And, and call that a season because because I do admire guys that consistently kill. I think yeah. there is something to that. Yeah, um, but even, yeah, that was that was my big big two two ass Dan Johnson. Yeah, just, well, uh, when that I, was what I needed to talk about. When I read that originally, and now that we've had the conversation, that makes more sense. I thought you're like, dude, we got to <laughs> we got to discuss a buck that I found. He's the dad of two other shooters that I know about. Oh. So like, I thought you ran into like this mega <laughs> grandpa buck that, you know, fathered two other bucks that were on your hit list. So I was like, Holy shit. How does he know this? <laughs> no, no, no. That was a, that was one of those text messages. Don't necessarily convey all the meaning. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's a one hander while you're trying to do something else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Yep. Oh. So, this time of year, man, I am trying to get out and hunt. Work's busy. Kids are, you know, just now, like at the end of this month, man, we're going to be starting uh, soccer and stuff and a whole bunch of the activities. It's starting to get nice out. So, you know, I just want to spend, I just want to spend time with the fam. So I had a plan to go and scout Missouri for, on some public. I had a plan to go and scout uh, what is it? Uh, Oklahoma and do this, these scouting missions this, this spring. Well, they're not going to happen. Right. I still think there's a chance that I actually hunt these States in the fall. And there's a chance that on this, uh, this Saturday, I'm running up to Wisconsin to, to scout a property that I, I might have access to not this year, but next year. So I am, I'm trying to balance all these scouting missions. They're kind of falling off to the side and I'm not able to get out there, which means it's e-scouting, right? So for you, I want to ask you this because I, I feel like me and you are similar as far as, you know, we try to get away. It's on the plans. It doesn't necessarily happen. Uh, we'd like to. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would love to go to the the out-of-states hunts and and do a scouting mission work family get in the way they don't allow us to do that so how much time right now are you spending on you know like hunt stand or whatever digital mapping uh, uh platform you use and in, in e-scouting so i i would say it's not a ton as far as like right now now i, I preface that because like I, I've done a few walkabouts. Uh, I had a big trip. What was that last weekend? I did. I think I did 18 miles between two days. And so, like, clearly the day or two after that, I'm looking at it. And you know, I think let's call it for for 30 minutes in the evening each night, Monday, Tuesday, probably. Like, kind of like okay, kind of just remembering what I saw and why I've got a note there. And 
oh, you know, is this bed and this scrape connected or is there an elevation of interest because I've got the pins on that? So, yeah, right now it's it's not so much heavy, heavy e-scouting. But then again, like I'll be listening to a podcast or I'll hear something. I'll be like, I'm going to look at my map. And like, boom, there's that 30-minute rabbit hole out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, That happens quite frequently, I feel like. Um so yeah, I would just say I have maybe thirty minutes a a week right now. It just depends. But uh, does that ramp up yeah, then I'm as you get huge... closer to season? Oh, a hundred percent. Especially here in the home state, it's like you know, because each I feel like each time in the field, uh, you, you know, you just start connecting those dots, and now you're getting closer to the like plan of attack where I got a trail cam pick of this big buck. I got good tracks over here. Like then I'm just like, then it's, it's, it's damn near every day, you know, anytime there's no work meeting or there's a pause in the day. It's like, it's, 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 it's much more frequent, uh, August onward. Yeah. So here's, here's something that I've started to do and, or that I, I try to do. I, it's not like I start it because it, sometimes it's difficult depending on the satellite imagery. Um, it's always good to have the most up-to-date satellite imagery. Um, and you're, you're starting to look for trends in like e-scouting. Like, oh, here's a here's a topo, a topo line area or a terrain feature where it hits edge or, you know, the things that we are looking for when we're scouting. Have you noticed like have okay so how do how do i'm going to ask this question by telling you something so i e scout i go into an area and i say yes or no right like this e scouting worked or it didn't work then i go back to the map i reference it i look at the topo lines and i look at if there's edge or whatever whatever got me there in the first place and then i say is this good or bad i say no i move forward and then basically I'm, I'm e-scouting, I hunt or scout, I go back to the map and I say yes or no, basically confirming if that's a good spot or not. And then I, what, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm just basically running these tests every time I look at a map and saying yes or no. And then that, what that allows me to do is it allows me to get better at scouting knowing where I need to look, right? Like just skipping the bad parts and then finding the good locations on the map. How, how do you approach that knowing you can't get out in the woods a lot? How are you finding those spots that are better for stand locations? Yeah, I would say somewhat of your process is mirrored by me where um, I like to use like a different color pin for like exploratory pins where I'll be staring at a map and be like, Oh, I see how this kind of comes point comes out into this bowl system. That might be something cool. I'll, I'll, I generally mark that pin in white Yeah. Um, versus a lot of my other pins are, are more traditional colors. Trail cams are all blue um, hunting points are, I think are traditional red, but yeah, I, um, I very much when I start uh, uh, like, like today I might get out for a walk. I'll pull out that map for 10 minutes of the area. Maybe it's an area I hunted, maybe it's not. And I'll mark like generally two, let's call it two to three white pins. Uh, like, hey, I, I see a loop here that I can knock this out. And, and, and these are my three white points of interest. 
and I go. And while I'm physically putting boots to the ground, then I'm marking like the intricate details. Oh, pretty good scrape here. Uh, here's a ditch crossing on this creek or this river, or, or maybe it's a terrain feature that they tend to, to got to be down trail at this elevation. I'll mark stuff like that. Um, and that's kind of how I end up finding my, my hunting ambush points or a starting hunting ambush points. I feel like a lot of times I'll mark a kill tree um, in this off season and I end up harvesting on a pivot from that kill tree. I, I've never, uh, never, mm, that's a strong word. Um, I'm trying to think. So, a what, lot what, of the last couple of deer, deer have been a micro adjustment off of that original pen. Okay. So you've, you've located an area in a, on a map. You went in to scout mm-hmm. it. You said, hey, man, this tree looks good. I'm going to mark this tree. I get in there. You set up. Okay. You've, you notice that the deer movement is off of that, that location a bit. You, you adjust, and then you have the encounters that you want. Yeah, it, se- it seems like um, for myself, yeah, it, it tends to be a, a micro adjustment. Like the tree I killed this year, I um, – I found that area October 10th, just regular scouting. Um, the snow buck I'm, I'm thinking of, I marked that pin, I think a year or two before I hunted it, I hunted it and I saw deer moving 60 to 80 yards away. The next day I went in and, and I was six, you know, I was where I saw those deer the day before. Um, and, and, and was able to kill him that way. Um, Dan, let me ask you this because I think this is important. I believe some hunters or my buddy Dave is a much better e-scouter than myself. He sees things on maps and I don't know how, but he generally shows up there and it's, it's, it's a pretty good spot. I'm more somewhere probably in the middle out of your group of friends. Do you think you're a little better e-scouter than, than some average person? No, I'll be honest with you. I don't think so. I think, okay. I, I, here's what I, here's what I, here's what I'm good at. I, I feel I'm good at. I can look at a map and just like you say, Hey, this is, this is a place I, I, want to go and hunt but i think the reason that i'm that i'm that way is because i've taken all of my historically this is before i've ever e-scouted before i ever had any mobile hunting hunting apps like hunt stand or whatever and then i i you know i've through scouting and through uh, failure and success. You you refine your tree stand locations on, let's just say, a piece of private or a piece of public that you've hunted for several years, and then you get mm-hmm. that, and you start putting your pins on there for maybe historical historical tree stand locations that are really good at, uh, uh, you know, really good funnels or really good uh, staging areas or things like that. So then, I I put those pins on my map and I look at that pin and I go, why is this a good pin? You know, why is this a good tree stand location? And then I look at the surrounding terrain and then I, I take that, that information and basically try to mirror it on other terrain features on a piece of property. And I say, okay, that looks good. Um, let's try here. So it's not, I wouldn't give all the credit to e-scouting per se, but it's just, using what e-scouting has available or using what the, the the map or the topo lines show 
and comparing it to places that I've hunted in the past. So I wouldn't say that I'm great at it. It's just using the information that the knowledge that I've gained over the years and applying it to the technology that's available. If that makes any sense at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it very much does. It's, it's very similar probably like, you know, when you get the infield, uh, scouting, uh, like the spidey senses start tingling. We're oh, like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like, you know, I had a pretty good tree stand over on this farm and it kind of looked like this and it very much mirrors this setup now on property B that's totally, you know, different County, different area. It's yeah. like, Oh, but you know, it's similar spidey senses. Uh, yeah. I feel like going off and yeah, I'm, I, I would say I, I I'm, a, I'm guilty of that myself where, um, I've tried to mirror what I've found success in uh, East County property X and tried to mirror it over to maybe a new piece or an out of state trip or, or yeah, that, that a hundred percent happens. Yeah. So um, one of the things though, when it comes to, I guess the, the, the satellite imagery that you're looking at. So on certain places, certain apps, it's all green, right? And green mm-hmm. is, I guess green is great. Cert, certain times but where i hunt i mean it's these hardwood draws uh there's some pines so what you're looking at is very subtle color changes in the on the the satellite imagery well it's harder in if it's a it's a it's a green month satellite image what i've found is easier for me to read is a winter no leaves december january february you know even march image where there's no leaves on and you can really see the the ground through the trees let's say so if i can see the ground Mm -hmm. through the trees that tells me that it's wide open timber and more than likely i'm going to avoid that when i go into on a run and gun or i'm going into a uh uh a scouting mission. So I like, I don't even need to see that because, and it, again, it depends on how old the, the, uh, the image is. But then if I can't see the ground or it's a little bit more cloudy, then I know, Hey, there's a higher stem count there. The trees are younger. Um, it's, it's going to provide better cover or I can start to see edge from the different ages or vegetation types, or if there's a pine stand somewhere that allows thermal cover or again, uh, edge or some kind of, you know, that will dictate deer movement. Then I can say, Oh man, I want to go check that out. So I don't know. I, I just feel like summer versus winter imagery helps me out a lot when determining where, oh, I, where I want to go. I could see that too. Um, I can't say I've used that um, a ton, but like um, if you have like a hillside or a, uh, like you said, an area of timber and you can see that it's super thick and especially for out of state trips, kind of like we were talking early in this podcast is like, you may not even be able to walk through it. It may be a bunch yeah. of honeysuckle or autumn that until you've poked your head in there to kind of really see what it is on the ground. Um, you know, you might want, you don't want to necessarily run into that kind of an area in the dark or um, just automatically say, oh yeah, I can walk this, this timber. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I definitely could utilize that a little more. I know, um, oh, back in the day, uh, this was pre, this was pre, oh, a lot of the, the software. I used to sometimes use, what was it, National Geographic. 
and because they had better uh, imagery on their site and then you could like play with the years or whatever and like go back in yes. time yes and a lot of times you could almost yeah you could almost find like old fields and you'd be like oh i bet that's thick as shit in that timber now yeah like just because it seems like a lot of old, old, old pasture or old field edge tends to get thicker in that timber for some reason yeah and it's that's the farm that i i kind of hunt and or my main farm that i hunt was all cattle pasture 20 years ago 20 30 yeah. 20 or 30 years ago so when i when i go and i hunt i'm like hey i can see where the big woods meets the younger timber stand and and then it's mm-hmm. confirmed when i talk to the landowner they're like yeah we had cattle across this whole thing and there there was not any trees on this farm you know 30 40 years ago and now you know you got 40 year old 40 year old trees and man, some of those places are really thick and nasty or if they've been logged, you can see like certain, uh, certain, if you get down, uh, man, I used to use Beacon. Um, it is a app and I, the only reason I use this beacon.com, I think it's beacon.com is you could cycle through the years of, um, yeah. of the satellite imagery. So you look at this and then you see, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hit this year. Oh, I can see a whole bunch of treetops in the woods and you can see like where the, and this, this is zooming in quite a bit, but then you can see where the bulldozers came in or the, the big trucks came in, created logging roads and they pulled, they cut the trees down, had the, had the top left the tops in there and pulled them out. And then you can say, oh man, that was 10 years ago. That was five years ago, whatever. Fast forward five years. I don't know about you, but I've on my, one of my properties that I've hunted, um, it's been logged seven years ago now. And so it's, it's really good where they cut down the trees. Uh, I mean, it's just these perfect bedding, little pockets of bedding and deer love those little areas. They just feel comfortable in them. And so I've found, I I've found uh, bedding areas and tree stand locations through that type of research as well. Yeah. Let me ask this. Cause I think back in the day, did you ever have like one of the bigger maps that you can like put on a wall? Um, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, there's a couple companies out there that have those where even you've got some ability to like put pins and stuff on. Do you have one of those? And is that kind of nice for, I don't know, looking at as far as, it's all blown out and it's a little bit bigger. You may be able to see stuff that, that you can't see when you're squinting at a smaller phone screen, if you will. Yeah, man, man, just being honest, they're great to look at Yeah, and they're great reference points, but the functionality of a printed map these days is, I mean, it, it probably has its functionality to certain people like, uh, okay, I have this giant map. I can put pins on it. I, mm-hmm. um, I'm looking at it right now. It's right next. It's of my main farm that I hunt. Uh, it's gorgeous map, perfect, you know, uh, summer satellite imagery with all the topo lines on it. It has hillside shading. It looks really good, but it's a it's a one shot image of mm-hmm. the, of the property at that particular time. It doesn't show any changes. It doesn't show like I can't cycle through, you know. I can't cycle through it looking for a, a winter image. The only thing I can really do is put pins on it and have a mental type of catalog of yeah. where now before any type of mobile apps, right? I was sure. printing off uh Google map satellite imagery 
and taking that into the woods sometimes with me and making little notes and leaving it at my truck and saying, okay, well, I I did that. That was a long time ago, right? But that's what I was doing. I I, I just don't do that anymore because the technology on my phone mixed with historical information that I've I've gathered is just more functional for me. Yeah. Do you use, uh, do you use the desktop version, uh, oh, to get a bigger screen sometimes? I, I, if I'm, oh, when I did a Western trip last year, I found that to be a little nicer to have a little bit bigger. Yeah. For the most part, something I should, man, I won't, no, I'm just going to say rarely. Yeah. If I'm on there. Yeah. But most of the time it's on my phone and okay. I don't know. I mean, even, even in, for, for example, out West, right. And I ran into this this year and I'm, I'm sorry for hogging the conversation, but this year I went to South Dakota, did some e-scouting on some, uh, public and I'm like, Oh my God, this place looks money. This place looks mm-hmm. like the terrain. It butts up to a river, a big, a big property wide bend in the river, Historically, from being out there for multiple years, I know this. There's going to be either whitetails up in these cuts, or there's going to be mule deer up in these cuts, and they're going to be doing this and doing this. And I'm just like, oh, I was so excited to get there. We get there, and we it's it's dark. We walk down the hill. We in, in our headlights. We you know we get down into into this, and the next thing you know, cattle everywhere. And, and when I say uh, that, I say the cattle ate everything down to the dirt. They ate everything down to the dirt. So there was no food. It was stocked. I mean, stacked with cattle. So it looked great. But once we got there, we just found out that, uh, man, it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not hunting. So we literally spent 10 minutes there, turned around and walked back to the truck and went to a different spot. So, those types of things you're definitely not getting with a printed map and those types of things, even you can't, you don't know if there's going to be cattle in some of those uh, properties or not. And sure enough, you know, it's, it's just something you got to fight and you, you won't know until you actually get there. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure exactly. you've had to, you've had to deal with stuff like that. Yeah, no. And my Western trip, uh, we ran into a bunch of sheep, um, where where there was a bunch of like sheep shit everywhere, and we, we at first we were like, dude, there's a there's got to be a bunch of mule deer running around here. It, <laughs> it, 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 it. Um, but but yeah, so so yes, I have mirrored that, and and two, I do think I do think a lot of these frustrations uh, that you just described. Rewind ten years ago, I was probably spending a little more time e scouting than I do today, because now I'm like, okay, I was like, I kind of I kind of need a, a visual check. I need a I need to let. Um, and I even rewind five, six years ago, I used to have like spreadsheets of like, okay, these are good early season stands. These are good, like mid to late October stands. And don't get me wrong. I still have those buckets in my head, but I almost, uh, something that that I feel like I picked up on from, from Cody, uh, was, was kind of going into the season and let, let yourself gather all the information before you start your chess match. Yeah. Um, and so now like, I don't have. Like my my buddy Dave notoriously, well, where do you think you're going to? Dude, I don't know. I'll know maybe like a week out yeah. where I want to start my pursuit for for next fall. Um, but yeah, I, I spend way less time e scouting than I did say ten years ago because of a lot of these frustrations. Yeah, 
Now, let me ask you this. Do you ever, let's say it's not March right now. Let's say it's September or even into October and you're just like mentally putting together a strategy for the upcoming season. Do you ever say to yourself, I'm going to sit like the first north wind, I'm setting this tree or the first southwest wind, I'm, I'm hunting this tree. Do you ever do that or are you more fluid in your approach? I'd say I'm more fluid. I guess if I was one of those guys that was a little bit better at that, like early season buck bed type, I could see where, yeah, like first North wind, I think I'm going to kill a good buck coming off this point X, you know, uh, I just, I'm, I'm not a strong early season hunter. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I am much more of a fluid approach. Um, might know about some, some, some deer when season kicks off, but I'm like, generally the, the, the first couple of weeks of October, I'm like, yeah, I need to figure out what's going on. I need to yeah. just, I need to get in play for, for the second half of October. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you this. Cause I always, I know a couple guys out there who, man, they are in it for early season. And what I mean by that is they have a ton of trail cam picks. They're using cell cams. They, they, they have a historically good locations where deer bed and they just set up on, on everything that they've gathered all summer long. And they, they ref, they're mo, they're mobile in their scouting approach and trail cameras and you know they locating quote unquote beds and they can do that it takes a lot of time from what i've gathered it takes a lot of time to do that scouting wise and and prep wise mm-hmm. like for me i don't say like you you just said i'm not a very strong uh early season hunter well, I don't think that, to me, that's not giving yourself credit because I'm sure you could be if you put more eggs into the early season basket, right? If, just like anybody. Like, what makes some of these guys that you're talking about consistently kill deer is because they've put a ton of time, more than the average man, into scouting and and historical information and maybe more time in the stand, and they have the ability to do that kind of that I don't know that kind of approach when guys like us we're relying on we're putting more energy into that late October uh, rut time frame to when more deer are on their feet and and, and I guess stacking the odds in our fa- favor putting time in different spots I'm sure that Byron if you said you know what I'm not going to hunt November at all this year I'm only going to hunt the first two weeks of October you would put a lot more effort into summer scouting, locating a bed, putting trail cameras up in certain locations, trying to find that that uh, bed to food pattern. And I bet you you would you would have the same amount of success that you're currently having. I would say maybe. I, I think I think those guys that are good early season. Yes, they are. You're 100 percent right. They're putting in a lot more hours in that time of year than say I do. But I think too, maybe how they um, they view the woods, they see early season ambush points when they're scouting in the off season. Yeah, and like you know, just like a, a golfer can step up on a hole, right? And sometimes it, it plays to their eye, and they can they, they whatever reason they like hole number three on this golf course, and they traditionally get a birdie there versus a guy who might even be a better overall golfer steps up on that hole and it doesn't fit his eye and he averages par or better on it. I think some of that is in play. Uh, I yeah. think hunters have some, some strong suits to, to time of year. Um, 
I, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty good person at, at grinding out a rut. Uh, I've got a couple <laughs> bucks like 14th, 15th of November where yeah. it's just like, you know, fucking just sit there, wait, wait it out yeah. not late into the morning to all day. Like, like I can grit and grind, uh, yeah. um, versus some guys can't, you know, and some guys can't still hunt because they suck at seeing deer on, you know, on the ground. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of skill sets that maybe some of those early season guys have dialed that they just, they're blessed with those skills. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the other, th- the other thing is, you know, we talk about these buck beds, right? Mm-hmm. Man, where I hunt and the farms and terrain and landscape that I hunt, I think paying attention to buck beds Man, I really do think it's overrated. Um, why? Because I feel like the mature deer that I'm after have multiple beds throughout. Uh, like, even if there's just a slight change in the wind, they are they're moving to another ridge potentially. They're moving up and down a ridge. They're not going back to the same bed every single south wind you know like you hear a lot about mm-hmm. uh guys saying okay on a south wind i'm gonna be i'm gonna um, a buck is gonna be bedded on a north facing ridge right um or a south wind on a north facing ridge and if it's from the southeast he's gonna be bedded on the west side of that point if it's on the uh if it's a southwest wind he's gonna be bedded on the east side of that point and it's just like they they talk about it like it's automatic. Well, I have not witnessed that in the woods. A, from either jumping deer on access routes or B, just watching deer come back to beds that I've found or seeing deer maybe bed down in and, and things like that. I just am not seeing that in the on the terrain and landscape that I hunt. So that's why I am huge fan of staging areas, huge fan of, you know, pinch points, um, travel corridors, and even like doe bedding. I feel like doe bedding is way more consistent than like a, a buck bed. What What's your observation on that? Yeah, I 100% agree. Like that, especially that final thought, I, I'm like, doe bedding seems to be consistent um, and a lot of times on the map, I, I'll, I'll throw just general betting notes. Like I'm like, yeah, like I think, I think those could bet in here, but I also think a buck could bet in here. Like I, I kind of somewhat generalize betting occasionally, actually a lot on my maps. Um, there's, and keep in mind, I have never killed a buck stand up out of, well, maybe one. Um, but, but like, I haven't physically been able to like, you know, some of those gurus or, or guys that really do have it dialed. I've not had the, the, the success to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, that's the bet he's going to come from right there on that point. I have some plausibilities marked um, for those where I'm like, yeah, I, you know, there's a couple of matted down spots on this point. I could see why a solo deer would, would benefit from being here. I'm trying to get better at that potential buck bed game. Hell, who doesn't want October 5th, you know, you be on that first good oak that's 100 yards off his bed and you, 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 know, you smack him. Yeah. with 15 minutes of closing time like like i want that I, I i do want that success um but i'm like you i i i can't sit here and and start to say yeah on this point like that that point is a is 100 percent guarantee or eight out of 10 days a good buck comes off it yeah. i just uh i haven't seen it and i haven't been able to figure it out either 
Yeah. Um, I think is another aspect of that. And we talk about this a lot, right? The, the people who are hunting specific beds, I feel like the terrain that they're hunting is a lot different than like, would you say you're hunting more like I'm, I hunt that, that Iowa ag timber mix, like fingers up into that, you know, old pasture that's been like what we talked about earlier, grown over. Mm -hmm. Um, are you doing that egg, that egg mix or are you more big woods? So, yeah, I find myself kind of just gravitated to the big woods game these days. And, um, some of that, there's no ag in the area, uh, some pieces that there may be smaller ag fields. Um, and, uh, I think, I think in some of the bigger floor to ceiling aspects of, of the stuff I hunt, there, there might be a little bit of a code to crack with buck, buck bedding just because, um, you get those points and those really good vantage areas where like, damn, they're impossible to kill there. Or, or, you know, a buck could sit on a point overlooking maybe a bowl system and you're like, dude, even if he lays here all day, he's heard the squirrels. He knows if a coyote's kind of come through there on a different cadence of walking, like he might not be able to see a yote and enter that, that big bowl system. But like, if it's a low enough window, he could probably hear that, that some four legged critter came through there on a trot, but also exited there on a trot. Yeah. Um, I could see, yeah. And, and one of the, the really good bed hunters, um, is, is Jake Bush and he, he's right here in Ohio. Um, I, I try to talk to him as much as I can trying to, to get some lessons in that stuff. But yeah, I, I, I don't have that code cracked by any means. Yeah. And, uh, and listen to I, us. I, I mirror your thoughts as well. Like I, why, I don't know. Is it, is it, is it cause I don't have it cracked or maybe I should just concentrate on my strengths, you know, yeah. where we're, figuring you know there is something to that that play to your strengths versus trying to just constantly improve on an area that you're just not not blessed with yeah that's a fact and i'll tell you this man like we've been talking about whitetails now for just under 50 minutes and it, it it's it still amazes me the the thought process that there's so many things that are similar when a hunter approaches trying to accomplish whatever goal that they're trying to accomplish. Right. And let's just say mature bucks, right. How there's a lot of slim, uh, similarities between what me and you do, but then there's also differences and it, it is, it's so crazy that there are so many different ways to be successful in this game. But at the same time, the curveballs that they throw us have leave us so frustrated. It's almost like uh, I was talking to a guy uh, in the the podcast that I'm getting ready to launch tomorrow. Actually, is a uh, uh, a podcast about how a guy is a musky fisher. Uh, he fishes strictly for muskies, and he's like the similarities between those two animals, whitetails and uh, musky, is is crazy. And so he is. He's looking for edge and he's looking for all this stuff and he can go out and he has all this, all these years of experience catch, catching muskie. And then there can be a day where he's doing everything right and he doesn't catch a fish for like an entire, a muskie for an entire week. And he's like, it can be one of the most frustrating fish to go after, but he's obsessed with it. Just like we're obsessed with whitetails. And so, sure. so we do everything right and we still don't win sometimes. Um, but the more we lose, the more we win. If that may like that, that makes no sense to someone who's not a whitetail hunter. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would, I would say that that's a hundred percent true. Um, you and I kind of, I think our last conversation, we talked about late season Yeah. and you and I were like, dude, in the last 10 years, like I just haven't spent a lot of time out there in the late season. So like, you know, the year that you and I don't punch a tag in the rut, it's going to be like, okay, I really need to figure out late season uh, that year. Right. But at the end of that year, you're going to be way better late, late season hunter than you were the year prior because you were forced to go do something like that. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, knock on wood, hopefully I don't have to late season hunt. <laughs> Sounds I need, miserable. Yeah, I need to. Like, I would love to have a property that has some more food on it. Or I would love to have a property that gave me an opportunity to uh, fill my, you know, my second Iowa buck tag. But I just, I, I, I spend so much time and energy out of state or f- during the rut that I just kind of, for me, I don't want to say it's ever over because I still check trail cameras and I run, you know, I'm looking for that big mature buck after the, you know, when that late season time frame comes, but then the whole properties shift because they've been pushed so many times during the gun season that it just like redistributes all the deer off those properties. And I don't put any effort into it other than maybe check a couple trail cameras. So. Yeah. Now I know you found some good sheds over the years. Um, and that's super timely, but do you think some of those farms are kind of like, you know, you just described not being good late season one. Uh, they, they like, they almost like, have a low population from let's call it December to January, but by like February, March rolls around those deer have come back to those farms. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and I think what it is, is it just the pressure, they find their pockets where they're living. The pressure is mm-hmm. now over the, the concentration of food, right? Let's just, especially if there's snow in the ground, I have a, uh, a property that every single night, the past two months this is crazy i don't i don't understand how this field is sustaining these deer but for the most part every single night for the last two months there has been 50 deer in this field so i don't know if the the combine that they used to combine the corn had a problem or it just is not efficient and it's old but they've been out in this field every single night and 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 so they've found they they have found the food source that they're that they're wanting to go for mm-hmm. and so if there's 50 deer in that field that means there's not any deer in another field and so like as far as shed hunting is concerned there's been years where uh i have found a ton of sheds in, a, in an 80 acre field and then other years nada and i even have a funny story real quick um there's one one year where Man, I, I would go to this this field and I would find sheds every single year. Like I, I just knew that there was going to be some good sheds in this, these grass uh, strips, these buffer strips, these waterways in this mm-hmm. field, just because th- there was a, a a food source there. No joke, the farmer got a brand new combine. Oh no! Yeah, I never found another shed on that property while I had access to it. Because the grain waste, oh, that's hilarious! Yeah, the grain waste was nothing at that point. So, <laughs> so I was just like, "You son of a bitch!" Like, you you had to get a new combine, and he, you know, I gave him some shit for that. But uh, I no longer that property's been sold, and I, I no longer have access to it. But the, the the combine caused my shed hunting success to go down. Oh, geez, that's 
that's that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. That, that, someone so, else made an upgrade and, and it really affected you. Exactly. Your, exactly. Shed on and pursue. Oh man. So right now, right? I mean, it's it's March. <clears> we're getting into April. Like, where are you setting as far as how much time or energy you're putting into October or November? Yeah, I, um, so in the past couple seasons, I have walked generally about 70 miles between, let's call it December to April 1. Um, this year, I'm probably going to hit more of a 50, 50-ish mile mark. I think I'm sitting somewhere around 30. Um, and, and, you know, part of that is, uh, I, just, I just don't have as much time, kind of like we talked about. My life's a lot busier. I've got a son at home now versus... In the past, you know, the wife and she's a nurse, so she'd go to, she might occasionally work a Saturday. Dude, I got full green lights to, to pound as many miles as I could that day. You know, she yeah. wasn't home. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's way different now. Uh, um, so yeah, just less miles. But yeah, I think this is a. If I look at my myself as a bow hunter, December even yeah even late December I, I generally will start scouting just because like like you said at the beginning of this podcast you can get busy with life you get two or three social events that line up in February you don't you don't walk as many miles as you wanted to um, and uh, I will say this Ohio doesn't get the snow that Iowa has we're we're a little bit south um, from you guys as far as the snow belt probably yeah. of the U S you, you guys you guys get more so so there's yeah. that is a blessing for me yeah um, but yeah that's. I do. I put a decent amount of stock in what I do from now until April one. Um, is worth a decent amount for for, for next fall, um, yeah. especially in in past years where maybe I was learning a new section of uh, of woods or a whole new piece. Um, you know, I, I think I think that's that's been huge. You know, critical critical to my success is what I've done in the off season. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I tell you what, man. Um, I know we could sit here for another two hours and just keep talking, <laughs> right? I mean, this was a really good episode, yeah. I feel. Lots of information, lots of good uh, conversation. And uh, um, so, Byron, man, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and, and BS with us on, on short notice. And, and good luck moving forward with your scouting, uh, your family, and uh, this fall, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, Dan. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Long episode. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Huge shout out to Byron. Huge shout out to all of you. Please continue to support the Sportsman's Nation. All of the feeds we're doing. Uh, there's going to be there's going to be some changes coming, and I think it's going to be crazy. So uh, and, and some additions and, and some some cool things coming down the pipe. So take a look at that, and uh, we will go from there. Good vibes in. Good vibes out. We'll talk to you next time.